Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Right, I went once to the Canadian Embassy. The best place to see Which it. was great. Great view. I went a few times when my friend Brent Glass was running the Smithsonian the American History Museum oh, right. to the What top. a great event. You get to tour the museum. They have a, a nice little barbecue up on the roof. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was that's been great. So I wanted to see it. Unlike going up to the Washington Post where it looked like you were meeting someone undercover in a well, parking lot. Yeah, because you're up on a <laughs> roof and, and you could fall yeah. off and you can only see half the fireworks and it was awful. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Excuse me for coughing when I started. I feel stupid doing that. Uh, Just a scheduling note. Haven't taken off at all. Remember in the summers we used to take off the whole summer? That's right. In the old days when we did five shows a day on radio and stuff (laughs) like that. Billy Billy Joel. Joel. Where's Billy Joel? It's the last song I'll ever write. Uh, We're going to take next week off. Just one week. You know. That's all. Maybe we won't even. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. But a I'm vacation of your own choosing? Yeah. Yeah, I have not been laid off. <laughs> Just checking. Yeah. Yes. Well, it, it's important down the road for you. I know. Uh, a couple of things to talk about. This comes from Brian Murray, who writes, Hello, Mr. Tony, longtime listener, first-time writer. I wanted to see if you would give a shout-out to my brother, Jason Murray. Not only has he been a terrific sibling these past 40-some-odd years, but he has excelled in his profession and has just achieved something wonderful. He, like yourself, entered the world of journalism, first as a grad student at Syracuse, then editor of the sports and later news division for the local paper there, which I think is the Syracuse Post standard, if it's still that. His latest stop is at your old stomping ground, the Washington Post, as an assignment editor the last three years. That all changed the other day when he became the new sports editor. Wow. Our family is so proud of his accomplishment, and it means even more to myself and my brother because our father, who was a diehard sports fan and instilled that passion in both of us, is no longer with us. We both enjoy listening to the show, and in fact, it was a drive we took from Cooperstown to Manhattan where he had the podcast on that I first found out about it. Listening to the podcast is part of my daily commute, thanks to him. So if you have time to wish him good luck, I know that I would give myself, I know that would give myself and I'm sure him a big thrill. We do congratulate Jason Murray, and we wish him all the best. He joins a long line of great sports editors at the Washington Post, including Marty Zad, George Solomon, and Don Graham was a sports editor briefly. Um, so, you know, good for him. Good for him and best of luck. I read it every single day, and I want it to be great. Do you have a direct line for any future complaints? Yes, I, we're going to need that. Uh, we're going to need it down the road. <laughs> I did, he listens, apparently, which is great. I had no idea. We've not met. This is a letter, a long letter from a company called Olukai. And it, say, and it says, Dear Matt, and that's Matt Kelleher, Mike Wilbon, Michael and Tony, a.k.a. Dr. Hofwaff. I'm a long time, first time of both PTI and the TK pod. For what it's worth, that show truly does stink. I'm a D.C. native born and raised who grew up reading both Mike and Tony's columns, sports and style sections, and watching their adventure into television since the premiere of the PTI show. My brother was a close friend of the one and only super producer, Matt Kelleher, at Georgetown, so I tuned in early and often and still do. My cousin, Michael Morell, who worked with us for years, who was wonderful, Duke's own Michael Morell. My cousin, Michael Morell, is an esteemed graduate of the PTI production team, a distinction I personally hold in higher regard than his degree from Duke. And thanks to um, <laughs> the other Matt, Michael. my wife and I, he's, yeah, Michael and, Li- that was Michael and Elizabeth, right. My wife and I had the pleasure of annoying Tony simply by our presence gawking silently in studio as guests for a taping of the PTI show way back in 2010, a simpler time when Tony still had some hair and Will Bond owned homes in only two time zones, not three. <laughs> the PTI taping was a bucket list item for me and I suppose the woman to whom I related to by marriage as well after she suffered through years of listening to you two go back and forth in the background of the many shared apartments like some sort of white noise. And our attendance was the last thing we did in D.C. on our final day before moving to Portland, Oregon for my then brand new job at Nike. I spent a decade plus working at the swoosh, as they like to call it, building a family and staying connected to the fabric of my hometown thanks to PTI and the TK show, despite living nearly 2,800 miles from D.C. As part of the great COVID migration, we moved to the boomtown that is Austin, Texas, where I still tune in religiously. Mike Litwin and his daughter Angie, a professor of law at University of Texas Law School, live there. My loyalty for PTI is surpassed only by my misguided love for the sort of inane yet captivating chatter only found on the TK show about rounds at Columbia, from sand trap struggles to pro shop credits, the merits of different Safeway and CVS locations, dry cleaner drama, the price of Whoppers, illegally parked RVs, national relief pitching, Delaware moving violations, etc. I could go on and on listing topics because there's no end to the index of hard-hitting minutiae. 
which has sucked me in, turned me into a loyal little, and for some reason beyond logic, provided comfort and calm to my otherwise hectic life. It's as if Tony's neuroses replaced mine for an hour or two every time I tune in. Either I'm truly homesick DC expat, hungry for weather updates and traffic news for Connecticut Avenue, or the dulcet tones of Tony Complaini has hooked me like some sort of siren call. Whatever the reasons, I love you all. I appreciate all you do to keep me connected to DC and to so many familiar names and faces that shaped my childhood. If you've made it through this far, through this filibuster of a letter, you deserve a little something for the effort. So here's a box of that. In enclosed, please find a pair of Olukai, O-L-U-K-A-I, golf shoes for each of you. I head up the product. I had a product for four great brands, Olukai Shoes, Melon Hats, Roark Apparel, and Canon Sunglasses. And that's across product management, merchandising, design, and development. These shoes are from Olukai's new golf line and are built for comfort on and off the course. They were designed for those who score low, Michael, but have fun <laughs> sometimes, Tony, and value quality, craft, and comfort, all of you. Olukai is a Hawaiian-inspired footwear brand. Not that One One sneaker brand, which is actually French. Not Hawaiian, but I digress. Producing men's and women's shoes and sandals for those who live an active island lifestyle, whether on Maui, in Dewey, or all the places in between. I hope you put them to good use, and they bring you low scores and high comfort. This is from Jordan Morell. And he says, the connective tissue on the show is strong. My brother, Jared, Kelleher's college buddy, works with Michael on First Tee. Right, you're shaking your head. Yeah. Jared Morell. My mother, Ellen Morell, worked with the Mrs. Socialite, Nancy Taylor Bubis, at Washington Fine Properties for decades. P.S. encloses a photo I think you and Michael will enjoy, giving how much of a father-son and now grandson bond you share over baseball. And it's there at Petco uh, Park. Oh, with isn't that Soto. They're at Petco Park. So, Michael, talk about the shoes. I did not expect to be uh, to be golf shoes when I saw the box. I opened it up. It's a it's a pair of all whites. I would put it in the category of street style. It looks like a tennis shoe. Yeah, uh, and yeah. this is great because you can throw them on, go practice, run a few errands, and you don't feel like you're doing the old click clack as you're walking down to the first tee. Yeah, so that's great. So we're very very grateful. I like to carry that island life with me everywhere I go. Yeah, well I carry it because it's Long Island. Um, okay, before I get to the Nats, let's go over Pebble Beach which I, I was looking for. I was looking for on NBC. I couldn't find it, and I finally found it on USA. Know what channel is that for you? In the evening. I, I don't know what number USA is, but I found it. I was happy about that. I'd gotten off the John Deere uh, because the John Deere was, was taped. Sands was doing, Sands was anchoring the John Deere, um, which was great, but they went, after the first round ended, they went back with it. So oh, sure. I got off that because I knew the leaderboard, and I went over and found... Rose Zhang on number five or number six or something like the that. Perfect place to start around to, to in watch. In what looked like cold, damp weather, gloomy weather at Pebble Beach. Uh, and when I tuned in, she was minus two. And then she, where'd she get in trouble? Uh, so six she, or five? she made a birdie on number seven, which is the right. downhill picturesque par three. The she one hit that it to eight feet. She went viral earlier this week when she clipped a tee perfectly into her back pocket and didn't know that she had done it till later. Oh, okay. Uh, so she, this is at one of the points on the property, and she gets to eight, which has been called one of the most perfect par fours in golf. Everyone lays up uh, you know, to about 180 to 200 yeah. for their second shot. I got a and nine then, on that hole. And then you have a, a really difficult... Uh, cloverleaf green. We, yeah. If you remember, Spieth has had a lot of issues with this hole as he drove it too far through the fairway and looked like he might fall down a ravine right. into That's the Pacific right. Ocean. Right. Uh, yeah, she lost her second shot to the right and then had to struggle from there. Yeah, and she ended up, she was minus two and she ended up plus two on the day. Tough to see her winning. Don't know, but I mean, you know, that's why they, that's why they hold these things. Pebble, even in grayness, is Still gorgeous. Yeah. A lot of the women the comments I read today were like, I can't believe we're at Pebble. It's so great to be at Pebble. Every shot is, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they, they mic'd up one of the players as she was walking down the fairway, and she just said... Was she a British girl? Uh, yes. Hannah somebody? Yeah, uh, Hannah Green, maybe? She was great, great yeah. to listen She's to. Like, even if you make a bogey, you just look out to the ocean, and you can't help but smile. And she goes, I got here early. I played Monterey Peninsula. <laughs> she so, did our trip. That's to do great. that, this is... This is new in golf for men and women. This is within the last couple of years. They were doing it in England. They were doing it on the world tour. But it would be somebody with a handheld microphone walking with someone. Now they just stick the stuff in your ears, 
sort of like on Sunday Night Baseball while you're out on the field. It's a totally different it's visual great. because it's somebody by themselves as they're walking down the fairway or up towards the green, and you, you can hear them laboring. You can see them thinking through the next shot. It's really good. That's it's really great. good. You know, it's not really good, the Nats. <laughs> I'm just going to be fairly brief on the Nats. The Nats were the Nats were a 1 o'clock start and obviously must have been oh, in rain a rain delay. delay, you know, because they were still on even when PTI was finished. So I, I went and watched the last inning. And they, they had were, the lead going to the late innings. They were down mm-hmm. 1-0 at one point, maybe 2-1. They had a lead and they gave yeah. up the lead. Mm-hmm. I think into the 7th. Okay, so, so I catch it at the 10th. I, the Nat, Hunter Harvey is on the mound. There's the ghost runner at second, who is usually the last person out in the previous inning. Yeah. He goes out to second, because that's call went out in the bottom of the 10th. And on Hunter's, Hunter Harvey's first pitch was parked in the Reds' bullpen. His first pitch was a two-run home run. You go, oh, no, you know. That's not ideal. No, it's really Hard not. Hard to come back from that. But the <laughs> Nats, well, the Nats did Do come over. back, because the guy on the mound was crazy wild, was hitting people, was giving stuff up. Call got to third on a wild pitch. I think Lane Thomas has got a single, singled him in. Lane Thomas was on base. Maybe it was a single. Maybe it was something else. So now it's now it's six five or is it five four? It was five four. Five four. So the Nats, the Nats get to where they have first and second and nobody out. That that's a good position to be in. Except who's coming to the plate? Dominic Smith Oof. comes to the plate. Rolling over. And he no, he just struck out meekly on a low pitch so now they ultimately Mm. got the next guy up is dickerson dickerson grounds out to third runners advance you have second and third with two out second and third with two out cabert ruiz and and somebody in this house says out loud this will be the biggest hit of your life so far the biggest hit of your career you get a single two run score you win the game yeah nice win popped out Popped out, dug out, golfed a low pitch, popped out to center field. Nats lose. They lost every game to Cincy. Uh, yeah. Since he is now, pretty good this year. Now, the tells me, yeah, but the socialite tells me the Nats are terrible at home, that they're a much better team on the road. Uh, and, have- and when, you had that, when you had that little winning streak where they won a couple series uh, two weeks ago, road. it was all on the road. Yeah. So that's what Allen says. So it was, you know, disappointing. I mean, I want somebody else up other than Dominic Smith, but, I'm, but that was righty-lefty. Yeah, you had the matchup. You know, you had the matchup. I mean, that's you your want. power hitting first baseman up. That's the situation well, you want. theoretically. That is theoretically exactly what you want. It just did not work out. Nats, 13 and 31 at home. Oh, that's bad. 21 and 22 on, on the road. How are we well, looking for that final wild card wow. spot? Um, I think we're out of it. Standing I'm still, still I think the Nats have passed. Uh, Nats just 13 and a half games back on that. <laughs> so, just, yeah. Mm. Oh, golly. All right. We will take a break. Um, we will have Abby Lowell when we return. Uh, no, D- Dave, Dave Sims. Dave Sims when we return and yes. Abby Lowell later in the show. Yes. Okie dokie. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews or coverage of all the biggest stories in the nba our new show is the place to be five days a week download and follow beyond the arc on apple podcasts spotify and wherever you get your favorite podcasts you're listening to the tony kornheiser show there's ollie versus frazier McEnroe versus borg Lakers and the Celtics in the Garden, Electric Razor versus James Harden, Dodgers versus the Yankees, they're in Babe Ruth's house, and there's Mr. Tony versus the Mouse. Brilliant. I won't tell you how it ended, I won't spoil it, but there's Mr. Tony with his arms up raised, there's a mouse. There's the toilet. <laughs> There's Lewis versus Marciano. There's England versus the Falklands. There's Green Bay versus Chicago. Shoemaker versus Steve Coffin. Nothing brought down the Jordan Pippen bull except maybe Jerry Krause. There's Chrissy versus Martina. And there's Mr. Tony versus the Mouse. Mr. Tony versus the Mouse. 
Dan Byrne is brilliant. Yes, he really he's is. totally brilliant. That's and he just plays brilliant. in Dave Sims. And in the interest of full disclosure, because we do that on this particular podcast, uh, as we sit here taping this, this is about 6.30 on Thursday night because it's impossible to get Dave. It's crazy to ask him to wake up in the morning from Seattle, so we're not going to do that. This is the All-Star Game, and I've gone through this. I went through Mm -hmm. it when I was a sports writer at The Post when it was in Baltimore and there was no Washington team. And you went through it, you know, in Washington when they had the All-Star Game a few years ago when Bryce Harper, I think, won the home run derby, and it was so great. And you've got it in Seattle. You broadcast Mariners games. I felt it was a big deal, but I don't. Maybe it's nothing to Seattle. What do you, What do you think? No, 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 no. It's huge. It's huge. Let's use the read everybody. All the littles out there who I run into every now and then. Um, it's huge, and this organization was just fabulously excited when uh, they won the bid a few years ago, and the city's ready to rock and roll. Uh, Telling Nigel the weather's perfect, blue sky, low humidity. It's going to be 75, 80, but it's going to be comfortable. It'll be a nice breeze. And at 5 o'clock when the game, 5, 5.30 when the game starts, it's going to be fine. You are a Mariners broadcaster. You do their games. This is Major League Baseball. This is not local. What do you get to do around the All-Star game? I mean, in terms of the actual game. And what are you banned from doing because that's what they do? Yeah, I know they take over. Uh, yeah. I think our parking spaces and everything's been taken over by MLB, and I understand. And uh, I, I, I'm very, very fortunate in that I'm going to be doing the Swingman Classic tomorrow, which is uh, the HBCU Swingman Classic, Ken Griffey Jr.'s idea, along with MLB PA and folks. And then I got the Futures game on Saturday, which, you know, the Mike Trouts and so many of the greats uh, that, you know, the contemporary greats the last couple, three years played in the game. So you've got a whole bunch of guys that we're going to get to know on Saturday, and and some of them we may see as early as maybe you know August September call up time, or certainly right, right. as early as next season. So, but you it, don't it, it, you're it, not allowed even even on a local broadcast, even only to the Northwest Pacific area, only to Seattle. You're not allowed to do the game, right? Well, I don't know about that. I'm I, I just know I'm not involved in these things. Okay. I mean, the networks, they take over everything. I, there's no restrictions. I just, you know, they got their, their people, and uh, Joe Davis and the boys will be in, and uh, and they'll rock and roll from there. But, uh, hey, I'm happy to have my uh, my taste. Uh, you know, as they said, the guy said, hey, you got to have, oh, no, good fellas. I got to get a little taste. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The uh, Friday and Saturday with, uh, you know, it's going to be, you know, all, <laughs> Friday night's going to be, tonight is going to be a lot of fun, a, a largely black production uh, in terms of on air, myself and uh, Harold Reynolds and uh, Simone Stanley, who does a lot of HBCU stuff for for uh, the network, and then on um, and then on Saturday, uh, working with Yonder Alonzo and a cast of uh, a thousand. So it's going to be this going to be a good weekend. So I'm, I want to get to the HBCU thing in a second, but like, yep. I was wondering maybe they could. Like on home run derby, maybe they throw you a bone and you're on the field. You know what I mean? Did you did you say, yeah, yeah. "Hey, throw me a bone. Let me <laughs> wet my hey. beak." That's it. That's right. Hey, I'm working here, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you. It, it, it's all good. Um, I, I look forward to being there. I was at the. I went to the home run derby last year in uh, in L. A. They flew me out to uh, moderator Jackie Robinson. Uh, right, I remember. Uh, which was a blast. And uh, and I'm looking forward to tomorrow night. I mean, guys, I, I, I you know, I've known from afar, and some I've met on a few occasions. And to have, you know, the thing with the the HBCU thing, Tony, you, you and I, when we were in the '60s and '70s, we saw a proliferation of black stars and superstars. Sure. You know, now I feel like I know. You know, there's about 70 black Americans in in Major League Baseball. I feel like I know everybody, and uh, uh, or have met them at least once or twice. This is going to be, it, you know, and Junior, I called Junior the other day. I said, what was the impetus to, to do this HBCU thing? He said, hey, man, not all these cats are going to make it to the major leagues, but I want to expose them to what baseball is about, the other avenues, you know, the uh, you know, the business side, the lawyer side, uh, accounting. There's so many other things that you can do, being around, you know, be in and around baseball if you love it. And, 
and you know maybe somebody gets lucky and they have have a big game and maybe they get signed as a free agent and they get a shot. So. There's there's not a hundred historically black colleges and universities. They're not. There are fewer than that. Steph Curry has gotten completely involved in the golf team yeah. at Howard, which is wonderful. Which has always been one of the elite black schools, one of the one, mm-hmm. two, or three. How did they pick the players for this game? Uh, about 17 schools and a junior and a bunch of coaches got together and they, you know, they said, hey, it was almost like they're one, two, three, you know, gut, you know, shoot. And they chose and it came up with a group of a group of guys. I had no idea who they are. I'm looking forward to meeting them. Matter of right. fact, uh, I went to a dinner last night and uh, a little get together across the street from T-Mobile Park. And then I'll you know, be a VP, um, you know, tonight. And uh Hey, hopefully somebody shines. You know, when we think, you know, and, and Tony, when you and I were coming up, and people of our age, when you were thinking of HBCUs, you're thinking of football, you know. Absolutely. Uh, Deacon jo- Jones. I mean, there's a plethora of and a, you know, Pro Football Hall of Famers from um, HBCUs, and thanks to largely to Al Davis and Hank Stram. Jackson you know, State. Guys, is you always think of Jackson yeah, State. Always. Yeah, I mean, Walter Payton. Come on. I yeah. mean, yeah, there's so many guys. Morgan State turned out a lot of guys. You know, Willie Lanier. I mean, Harry Carson, Michael Strahan. Yeah. Recent vintage. And then even on the basketball side, you're looking at Earl. And uh, there's a few other guys. I think Nate, no, Nate Thurman went to a, what do you call Bowling Green. He went but, to Bowling you know, Green. Yeah. There's been a, you know there's a Bobby Dandridge I believe. There's a bunch of guys. And then on the baseball side. Well, Willis Reed went to Grambling. There you go, Willis Reed. And nobody uh, better captain. than Willis Reed. You the know, captain. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and on the baseball side, uh, Andre Dawson, Vince Coleman, uh, Marquise Grissom. You know, those are some of the Ricky Weeks Jr. Those are some of the guys that come out of HBCUs on the baseball side. Now, now, will you? Is that a television game we can watch, or is it a radio oh, yeah. game? It's on uh, MLB Network. Got it at ten thirty Eastern tonight, and uh, and then the futures game is uh, that is going to be what is seven thirty my time, uh, seven o'clock my time. So ten o'clock, 10 o'clock Eastern. Yeah, on on Saturday on Peacock. I get that. Good. Yeah, I get Peacock. One of the few ones you do get, right? Yeah, that's, it's, it comes whether I want it or not. I get it on yeah. Comcast. Are there any banquet functions? I mean, are there any are there uh, symposiums like you did last year? Is there anything like that yeah. in your future? Yes. Uh, on Saturday, uh, the likes of Jerry Manuel and Bo Porter, who are managing uh, the yep. two teams in HBCU, Cito Gaston, uh, Marvin Freeman, who had a really nice career with the Braves and the Phillies and the Rockies. Uh, I'm, I'm hosting a, a after lunch on Saturday, uh, I'll talk about leadership and just the meaning of what it was like being black in baseball during their time, among other things. And, and you know, and it's going to be inspirational stuff that we're going to be talking about. That's going to be on Saturday. They had, they're having on uh, Thursday, VP they had up at uh, University of Washington. And then uh, Thursday, we have a get together across the street. We have this called a uh, thing called victory hall across from t-mobile park so i'm you know that's a you know good out and glad hand and meet and greet and all that kind of stuff and spit you know spread good cheer and karma and all that good stuff you know you gave me a number before of black americans active in mlb would you give me that number again because i don't think i heard it correctly yeah <laughs> yeah i don't think there's no more than 70 black americans it's amazing uh, they, it's wait this is this is disturbing jackie robinson would spin to, oh, he to know that, he is. He's right? A hammer, absolutely. Oh, that's all. That's yeah, all, and, and that's because they choose to go into basketball and football as opposed well, to yeah, baseball. And, I, and we have a guy up here named Buki Gates who does something called uh, Baseball Beyond Borders, and uh, he made a good point. I was watching him the other day, and he said it was like a generation that got skipped in terms of uh, the fascination and love uh, of baseball. I mean, I. I'm only a few years younger than you are, and and when I was coming up, it was all about baseball. Yeah, I mean that was and Wilbon too. Wilbon's first love yeah. was always baseball. Yeah, and you know I grew up listening to stories of you know about Jackie Robinson, Brooklyn Dodgers, all the black guys they had, Monty Irvin, Willie Mays. You know I grew up looking at uh, World Series uh, uh, scorecards and whatnot that uh, programs that my father had brought back because you know, when he would run up to New York and he was lucky enough to get World Series tickets. You know, 50, what, what was that, 47, 49, right. 52, 53. So that's how I grew up on all that stuff. And uh, and hence you had the numbers were really good in the 60s and 70s, but 
Now, if you want to get noticed, it's all about travel ball, elite, elite baseball, and that can cost anywhere from five to fifteen large a summer, and yeah. and then bats at three hundred, four hundred bats at three four hundred dollars, you know, mitts at two three hundred dollars. So I know the Mariners are involved and are doing a really good job with funding along with Major League Baseball to uh, put funds, make funds available for folks, uh, the kids in the inner city. That's what they do in Washington with the yeah. with the Nationals Baseball Academy. That's exactly what it's geared to. And it, we got to get that next generation, you know, not only as players but consumers and, and, uh, and, and to watch and, you know, be invested in baseball. And, and the other thing, too, it's almost like I, I know when I talk to kids, it, it's the charm, the love of baseball, what excites me about baseball. Um, yeah, you're a superstar if you fail 70% of the game. But and it's, such a, it, it's an individual sport, but yet it's a team sport. And it's it, you got to think, you got to think to play in this game. It, you know, it's it can be very physical, no question about it. And the other thing too, I always think of uh, of, of forty four. I remember when you and uh, Tony, I mean, you and Mike talking about golf with President Obama. Yeah. And uh, remember, he came out. I don't know if you guys asked him, but someone asked him, "Hey, if you had a son, would you let him play football?" No. With all due respect to the NFL, he said no. And which I did for eighteen years. You know, in Westwood One, he said no. And you know, you look at the head injuries that are going on there. Hey, if you can suck it up and ride a bus for two years in, in the minor leagues and then hopefully make it in the major leagues, then you're set. I mean, all I would say to people, and, and maybe this dates me in a terrible way, I said, do you know what sport Michael Jordan left basketball for? He left baseball. for baseball. This is Michael exactly. Jordan. And he wasn't that good. And he still wanted to play. It's really amazing. Um, you are working, and, and I appreciate that. But this is a period of time where your confreres – they go on vacation, don't they? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of guys will shut it down. I think here in Seattle, any, any of our guys will probably try to be at the game because you know we won't be around the next time it comes back. So right. uh, I think a lot of guys will, uh, a lot of folks will be coming to the game. I know everybody, in, you know, as I said, in the organization, everybody's very excited about having it here. And, you know, opening up our arms uh, to, to baseball in the world. They're going to have the. Uh, Red carpet uh, show at Pike Market. I think that's going to be uh, interesting how they set that up. So when I was doing Monday Night Football, mm-hmm. there was always a game in Seattle. The years that I did it, there was always at least one game in Seattle. And of yep. course, everybody goes to the Pike Market to see him throw the fish and yep. all of that. And and but <laughs> in your mind, and there is the Space Needle at that point, if it's still there, that was certainly there oh, yeah, then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in your there, mind, is there right? something in Seattle that you think everybody? should see and I and I would tell the people listening, remember, Sims is a Philadelphian and a New Yorker. He's not a Seattle guy, I, so if he's I saying this it matters. Maybe. Yeah. I ninety five. Right. Um yeah, I mean you mentioned you know the the pipe you know, the market, the space needle. Uh it's a great foodie town. Yeah. Uh you know, Google best restaurants in uh in Seattle. Uh two come to mind, let's see, Hapanesa Japanese joint on First Avenue, which is outstanding. And uh, another place called Purple, which is a sort of a wine restaurant. It got they must have about eight million uh, bottles of wine in that place, and it, the service is good, the food is good. And my buddy Tom Douglas is one of the primo, uh, might even be the primo restaurant tour here. He's got multiple, he's got multiple restaurants here in town. And just driving around, it's so you know, when, you know, when you land here, it's so freaking green. It's unbelievable. Yes. Coming from the East Coast, and they're like, oh my god, is this for real? And and the other thing too, if if you're into hiking, there's good hiking available. You want to drive about an hour south to go to Mount Rainier, and the big mountain's going to be showing off in the in the good weather, which is one of the great sites. So and there's there's a lot of good things to to do here in, in Seattle, especially now with the weather being well, absolutely perfect. Have a wonderful time. Do good broadcasts. I will try and stay up for at least the first pitch <laughs> on on the, on the college game. It's hard for me to go any further than that. But enjoy yourself like crazy, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dave. Absolutely, Tom. Appreciate it, man. Good to, good to hear your voice, and uh, say hello to the fellas. Dave Sims, boys and girls. We will take a break. We will come back with Abby Lowell, the smartest man in Washington, D.C., and I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. 
Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Campanota, Rooker, Paris, Brown, and Bright, and Diaz. Langeliers and Ruiz, they all went over three. 27 A's came up and 27 gone. And then Domingo, Hermann, joined Larson, Wells, and Cone. Every time a New York Yankee has perfection struck, they've gone on to win the series. You can look it up for New York. Stanton had three ribbies. Herman was in the zone. The fourth Yankee perfecto after Larson, Wells, and Cone. Herman wore number zero to match the Oakland hits. Every A that came up, Domingo gave him fits. The 28th of June, Herman, he stood alone. Picture matching Larson, Wells, and Cole. The guys in Oakland's lineup ain't exactly Robin Yount. But don't say that Herman's perfecto doesn't count. The A's are in the big leagues from far and wide, they're known. And now Domingo Herman stands with Larson, Wells, and Cole. Campanota, Rooker, Perez, Brown, and Bright, and Diaz. Langeliers and Ruiz, they all went 0 for 3. 27 A's came up and 27 gone. And now Domingo Hermann stands with Larson, Wells, and Cone. 99 pitches, that's the number that he's thrown. And now Domingo Hermann has joined Larson, Wells, and Cone. How many times can we say how brilliant Dan Burn is? I mean, How many times? He writes, no, rare enough for a pitcher to go nine these days. Perfection is something else. Here's a little song to commemorate Domingo Herman's perfecto for the Yankees. He's utterly brilliant. Yes, he is. When you want to send your music to us, it doesn't have to be as brilliant as Dan Burns. <laughs> right. It doesn't have to be. Michael, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. And he I- plays in Abby Lowell, who's a Yankee fan. And yes. must have, Abby, you must have loved the perfect game, right? You must have loved that. <laughs> Oh, oh my! First of all, I want to point out that I used to like being, you know, coming on after Warren leave on with you know lawyers, guns, and money. But if right. you want to play Yankee stuff before I come on, that will just be great. Thank yeah. You. No. Well, I mean, it, it depends on what Dan Byrne is doing in in the moment because he <laughs> it's just tremendous. All right, we're, we're talking to Abby, the smartest man in Washington, about one basic thing, which is government, United States government intervention, possible intervention, where foreign governments appear to be buying up what we think of as sort of ours, like the PGA Golf Tour and everything that Ted Leonsis owns, okay? So we'll start with the PGA part, and you would be able to tell us this. The government seems to be getting involved in this. Why is the government involved? Well, first of all, you use the word government, and primarily what you mean right now is the United States Congress. Yeah, and well, there are many Senate. of us in yeah, Washington. Right. Yeah, there are many of us in Washington who believe that when you say the word government, it should exclude the United States Congress, given <laughs> all that it does and all that it doesn't do and its motives for doing it. In fact, in Washington, there's a saying, Tony, that says we never sleep as well when unless Congress is out of session. All right. So putting that aside, we'll say that what's happening is there are investigative and oversight committees of the Congress. They're supposed to do the job of looking into things to determine whether or not legislation is necessary. For example, if you were thinking that the two sports groups in the United States were coming into an agreement, you might say we need to look at it from purposes of the famous U.S. antitrust laws, which some sports groups have exemptions. This one is a little curious because, first of all, the Supreme Court 100 years ago said that Congress, when it does this function of oversight and investigations, has to have what's called a legitimate legislative purpose. And the question then becomes, other than asking why are foreign entities able to buy pieces of American business, it's not very clear to me what the legitimate legislative purpose of this is. Now, having said that, it's not the Justice Department's antitrust division that's right now looking at it. It's not any of that. It's a committee of the United States Congress on the Senate side. So yeah. let's put, you know, to, all right. Now, what are they, why are they doing it? Well, are I mean, they grandstanding? Are they grandstanding? 
Um, mostly about 90% of the time in the modern era when Congress does something, the first criteria is grandstanding, and the right. second is the legitimate legislative purpose. So there's just something about that. Look, Americans have this kind of queasy feeling when they see things like one of the sovereign wealth funds buying into American mom-and-pop things like, you know, the sporting teams. Yes. And it, it, but it's here. And you know what? It's kind of smart in a way. Uh, the LG, the PGA live thing is a little different. I'll come back to that. But when it comes to, we'll get to the Ted Leosis and Monumentals, uh, Qatari issue, or even the City Open, right? It's, it's now called the Mubadala City Open, if anybody was paying attention here in Washington, the tennis tournament. Mubadala is the sovereign wealth, one of the two or three sovereign wealth funds of the United Arab Emirates. It's here, ladies and gentlemen. And now the question is, is it a smart thing or a not smart thing? I agree. I, know, I agree with all that. I, I was going to. I was going to let you talk. The only thing I was going to say is, golf, baseball, basketball, tennis—they're private businesses. No, I mean, it's the government part that makes me go, "Ooh, is is this is this legit?" So, well, that's the point. I mean, so again, I don't want to be overly legal about it, but in the court opinions that look to see whether you can rein in the power of Congress, they look to see whether or not. Congress is looking at the private business affairs of private people. So when it comes to issues like looking into the sports involvement and investment by foreign companies, isn't that what that is? So it's a very strong argument. And, and here's the other part that people need to pay close, close attention to. Congress can say it wanted to have Greg Norman testify or have the head of one of the sovereign wealth funds, you know, Al Rumayan, come and do right. it. Right. But they don't have a lot of power to force that, especially if the person's not in the United States. They have subpoena power, but it certainly is not easy for Congress to send one of its junior members on a plane to some foreign country and serve a subpoena. And even if they did, then the person could say, I'm not coming. And Congress has very right. has three ways it can enforce that. You know, one is in the old days, they would send somebody from their police force to go arrest somebody and lock them up somewhere. That hasn't been done in 100 years. The second is to tell the United States attorney in D.C. to go bring a contempt case. And you've seen that with guys like Steve Bannon and, and Peter Navarro from the Trump administration. And the third way is to bring a lawsuit to enforce its subpoena, which, by the way, when that finally gets adjudicated, all of your children will have children and they'll have children. Yeah, so I, it's interesting about what Congress's power is and is not. So I, I guess the, the larger question for me and I, I, I'm one of those people, and I don't think Dan Snyder is a good owner at all, but I was one of those people who said, what is the government doing investigating Dan Snyder and the Washington football team? It seemed like an overreach to me. I guess my large question is, where is the line here, Abby, that separates private business and public good? Because I can't think that the Saudis and the Qataris, I can't think this is good or maybe i'm maybe it is good which part i mean the government the, the government ought to have a reason so let's look at the washington football team for a second right so if the investigation of the washington football team's employment practices are for the purposes of determining for example one we always go back to various sports franchises like baseball etc that had a, an exemption from antitrust but when it comes to like employment issues and workplace environment this is an era in which Congress is trying to determine the right amount of rules that govern what happens in a workplace, even by private businesses. Remember, Tony, that in the 1960s, when the country was trying to figure out a way to address the lack of civil rights in various parts of the country, a lot of businesses said, what are you doing interfering with a private business? If we don't want to serve a certain segment of the population, we have the right to do that. That's a good point. And the court ruled, the court ruled well, wait, if you're operating in interstate commerce and you have goods that are going through interstate commerce and you're relying on the federal system, let's say for banking, then it gives us a hook. And I guess the question becomes, what side of that political spectrum are you on? Is it okay for the federal government to find a means to insist that people are served equally, dependent, notwithstanding any other criteria? When we like that, we say, yeah, that makes sense. Yes. Or now you say, well, wait, why are they bothering to care about whether or not Ted Leosis is selling 5% of the sports company to the Qatari Investment Authority? So it really depends on what side you start with to see what time you end up with, right? Well, do, well, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, because it, it it seems very obvious that Middle Eastern countries are now getting into the sports business all around the world. 
soccer and tennis and golf. And now this will be basketball and hockey and baseball. What are your thoughts on that? I think here's some thoughts for people to think about. I'll tell you what mine are. So first of all, as the great columnist Thomas Friedman says, you know, the world is flat. We're no longer a segmented world in which the economics of the world are separated by vast oceans and and vast economic differences. It is very interrelated global economy. It shouldn't be a surprise to people, therefore, that when folks with funds are looking to make investments, they're going to look past the borders of their own country, especially when their countries like some of the Mideast countries are very small Mm -hmm. geography, but Mm -hmm. very large economically. And think about it from the point of view of monumental and liosis. What a smart idea that is. The governments of the United States, including the D.C. government, don't have a lot of extra funds to worry about upkeep of sporting facilities to make sure that things are what they should be, to figure out ways that we stay state-of-the-art. So if you're looking for investment money, are you going to look for the D.C. government, which is basically trying to find money for its budget? Or you're saying, I'll take 5% from some investment fund and do what's necessary for these sporting arenas. So generally, it's a very good idea from my perspective. I don't have a built-in prejudice that says, oh my gosh, a piece of the Washington Wizards or, you know, whatever sporting event or you want to say, or even the City Open, the, the tennis tournament, right. are now having, having foreign funds. I mean, everybody, if you think about all the ways that foreign funds are part of the infrastructure of the United States, real estate, investments, et cetera, it's here. And other than the, you know, the sort of the prejudice people may have, which is like, why are a bunch of people in the Middle East who don't have ice now investing in a hockey team. I mean, that's the only reason I would have, you know, people ought to think about what is their reason for thinking there's something wrong about it. Well, I would come back with this because of my history at the Washington Post. I would come back with the fact that there is a morality to this. Um, There's a larger question of is this dirty money? Is this clean money? I understand that our government works deals, you know, and you can defend it, but I'm not, I don't think that necessarily all of the money that comes to us in this manner is money that we should be eagerly embracing without, that's a, without morality concerns, right? That's a great concern. I think that is a different issue, and let's address that, because that's a terrific point. And let's start with the fact that it's not as if, the people who own, the Americans who own, and the states in which Americans own sporting franchises are a paragon of human rights, equality, civil rights, given what's happening in the United States. That's right. So, I mean, let, you know, before we cast aspersions on what's happening in another country in terms of using the economic power to deny people that investment, we should also consider here. Now, in that regard, Tony, look, Let's take the NBA, right? The NBA said, we're not going to North Carolina for the All-Star game because of your restrictive rights about transgender, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then that changed North Carolina. So the economic power had something to do with that change. But the All-Star game went to Utah, right? And there are some issues there. I guess the question becomes, do you allow the economic aspects to prevent what could be the upside to investments by foreign countries? So if you talk about Saudi the United Arab Emirates and Qatar, three of prominent in, in the investment, is the question, okay, well, they're not really doing all they should do in their country, so why should we accept their money for investments in the United States? Well, let me turn that around and say the following. The World Cup is a good example. I mean, the World Cup that Qatar spent like a gazillion dollars on. It put a lot of attention on what goes on in that country, its labor laws, how the World Cup came about, whether or not they're doing all they, they can do. In a certain way, their decision to come into our markets opens them up for more scrutiny than they would if they were doing it elsewhere. So people ought to think about that. And the second thing is, sure, do I like all the things that I read about in these countries and say, well, I don't want my American franchises to be doing business with them? I think that's where the disconnect is, because I don't like a lot of things that are happening in America, but I don't think that means that Americans shouldn't buy sports franchises either. Let me go down the road to the end of the road. And China says, we're buying the NBA. China owns the NBA. Do you think the United States government would allow that to happen? I don't. Look, I think what we're talking about here is percentages, right? Yes. I think, I think it's the 15. Rule, the Qatari percentage, yeah, I think, I, is 15, not uh, five. Yeah, 15 or 20, I think, 15. is one of the sports branches. I do think this. Um, there is a 
legitimate interest for the United States regulators, be them in the Justice Department or the United States Congress or others, to say we have a certain limit to the amount of investment. Mm -hmm. And that would still be something that people have to question and say, well, why? If if it's okay for them to have 10%, why isn't it okay for them to have 51%? What is the American interest in that? But you could readily say, well, we have to have control because of things like labor laws and the way we do business here and the fact that we have more rights for workers. So there is a legitimate reason to keep foreign investment less than at a controlling interest. So if China, quote, buys the NBA, no, that's not going to happen. I mean, it would be more interesting if countries like China that we're worried about in terms of their economic prowess start investing at amounts, let's say, you know, 20 percent. I don't know what the limits would be or 15 percent. Is that different? I think it's not so bad. I mean, if we're going to say it's okay for there to be the Mubadala city open and it's okay for Monumental to do what it needs to do to get capital to make sure our franchises are operating properly then why should it not be China? And again, I want to consider the opportunity that when foreign entities come to the United States, they open themselves up for a little bit more scrutiny than if they stayed within their own borders. Thank you. I mean, you you clarified a lot of it for me. I appreciate that. Thank you, Abby. You're quite welcome, Tony, as always. By the way, Thomas Friedman and I. Do I have a Yankee song to leave with or just... No, you had your Yankee song. (laughs) Okay. As I often say about Tommy Friedman, between us, we have three Pulitzers. (laughs) He has three. I have none. (laughs) Abby Lowell, boys and girls. We'll take a break. What do we have coming up? Email and jingle when we come back. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. comes Tony's mailbag Got your emails, faxes, and some notes Here comes Tony's mailbag Gonna read some for all of you folks That's John Nicewinger playing the piano and Joe Arrow singing the amazing voice of Joe Arrow. It's just lovely. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad for us? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, my friend, and you will be thrilled. Michael, I'm thinking of wearing these shoes today to play golf. Nice. <laughs> sure. I'm thinking of wearing them. I am. Uh, okay, so here's today's song before we get to the mailbag. See mail if it helps bag. your bunion. And, huh? What? Helps my bunion, yes. did you say? I hope it does. <laughs> And Nigel said, I don't, this is a 70s song, I don't know. And he goes, <coughs> it's nine o'clock on a Saturday. And I go to the regular crowd, <laughs> shuffles in. There's an old man sitting next to me making love to his tonic and gin. He says, son, can you play me a memory? I'm not really sure how it goes, but it's sad and it's sweet. And I knew it complete when I wore a younger man's clothes. And Nigel just sort of said, oh, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that's Long Island's own Billy Joel. <laughs> yes, it is. That's Long Island's own Billy Joel. I thought that was in the 60s, but it turned out it was in 1975. 73, I think. Whatever. He, yeah, and released, I think he recorded in 73, released in 74. So, yeah, yeah brilliant song. Love Billy Joel. It's yes. his number one song of all time, I would think. Thanks to our guests today, Dave Sims and Abby Lowell. Thanks to our sponsors, Game Time and Rocket Money. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Please leave us a review. I have a new code for you. Normally, I like to do something that plays on the boys' birthdays, even though yesterday Bootsy and the Hammer were trying to trade nicknames. Not sure you can do that. Uh, but yes, <laughs> new code with Johnny O. Check out their website, TKChange100. Yeah, you know. It could have been TK Stripper. <laughs> TK but it's TKChange100. Too many questions to answer with that one. <laughs> TKChange100. Yeah, okay. I got you. From John Loman in Charlottesville, Virginia. I have to say that your July 3rd podcast might be my favorite Tony Kornheiser show in recent memory, if not ever. From the mouse flushing to Pennsylvania mispronunciations and hard pretzels to its closed with readings with a particularly witty, funny, and packed mailbag. All killer. No filler, as they say. But what really got to me was your conversation with Sally Jenkins. Much like she intuited before writing a brilliant piece, it was, in fact, the article's photo that first stopped me dead in my tracks. Me too. Or at least in my doom scroll. And I have had her article high on my list to revisit after a long streak of guests cleared out after the holiday. 
I listened to your podcast in the early pre-dawn hours as I was attempting to go back to sleep, please don't take offense at anything that might imply, and was riveted, so much so that when it was over, I decided to throw in the proverbial towel and concede my insomniac, insomniatic battle, opening up the article on my Washington Post phone app. Upon opening, I noticed I was offered the option of having the article read to me out loud. I decided to give that a try. I have never done that. I yeah, I did. It's very cool. My expectations for this were not high, as I have often found the post narrated audio to sound like it was being read by a kind of robot, which the more I think about it might actually have been the case. The Everton Navratilova story, however, was read by a woman named Adrian Walker, and I have to say she gave an absolutely fantastic and spot-on narration, one worthy of the prose that lay beneath. At nearly an hour in length, I recommend it to anyone for a car ride, dog walk, Whatever you choose to do while listening to podcasts and audio stories, a fantastically rendered narration of an absolutely insightful, expansive, and epic piece of journalism. Thank you so much for having her on. It's lovely, isn't it? That's it really truly is. lovely. Yeah, no, I listened to that on the treadmill the other day, yeah. and it's, yeah, the, the, the narrator was just perfect for that story. Yeah. From Tom Dore. Treadmill? Treadmill. Yep. How'd you do <laughs> on the treadmill? What was your speed? speed well i do i do the high um elevation thing you know yeah. the, the, so i did a, the maximum on that and i think it was like four miles an hour i think okay wow. so i do the absolute lowest and i try to zero stop point zero <laughs> yeah tom door our friend our golfing friend tom door michael i'm friends with chris kaiser i'm confident i can get you out at the dunes club oh that's a helpful connection is that good yeah the dunes club is that good <laughs> um from franklin huff in edwardsburg michigan uh dear michael you'll be visiting south of the South Haven covert area soon? I know this area. I'm a product of covert public schools. The town is so small it doesn't have a single stoplight. My dad still lives in Hager Shores at the house I was raised in. While you're there, swing into DiMaggio's for some pizza. They only take cash, so grab a couple of Benjamins from the old man before you leave town. Be sure to stop by Van Buren State Park and ask for my sister Casey. She doesn't listen to the show. She'll have no idea who you are. It fills me with great happiness as a longtime little to finally be able to cordially invite you and your family to my home golf course. Located about an hour south across the border in Granger, Indiana, is Ninja Golf. This miniature golf course is home to the best staff on the planet. Aside from the ice cream counter and indoor laser maze, the pro shops features a wide variety of anime series based toys and books unfortunately i'll be out of town on vacation i'll be unable to host you but just say you're me when you get to the counter they'll let you right in watch out for the water hazard on number six <laughs> just one <laughs> leslie thomas hillsborough north carolina i had to share with you our first and last outing to see fireworks with the masses we were living in vienna virginia in 1976 and my mother felt we had to celebrate the bicentennial down on the mall the media told my mother we could use we could board buses locally and ride to downtown in air-conditioned comfort, and then after the festivities, reboard buses and get home. My parents got all of us, my siblings plus six friends, ranging in ages of 9 to 17, 12 kids. We rode the buses and got turned loose in D.C. at about 10 a.m. The crowds, the heat, the celebrations, and finally the fireworks at about 9 p.m. Wonderful. We all go to where we were dropped off, Maryland on one side of the street, Virginia on the other side. Maryland buses were there, and the people loaded up and left. No buses for Virginia. Uh -uh. A couple of hours passed, and Virginia people were getting restless. My father tells my mother she needs to keep the kids together, and he would walk to Vienna and get the car. <laughs> walk to Vienna and get the car and come back for us, and he left. Finally, buses arrived for Virginia people, and some man literally shoved all of us kids and my mother on a bus and said we would beat my dad to where our car was. We kept our eyes peeled for our father walking home. We finally get to our car, and sure enough, here comes Dad. <laughs> Every year since, my mom would announce we were going to see the fireworks, and my dad would just raise his eyebrows, and we would watch them from the sofa. Yeah. From Gino. Gino Agnelli in Bedford, Indiana, who has written in before, he writes... Come on, Grandpa, buying Swedish ice cream is a rookie move. Everyone knows that in the Victorian era, Sweden was known for its ice cream, but the early Industrial Revolution prompted the conversion of all that vast milk cow grazing land to the far more profitable steel farm acreage. <laughs> That's funny. From Kelly in the great state of Idaho, who writes Dr. Steve Irwin Kornheiser. Instead of langur monkeys, I suggest either eastern diamondback or timber rattlesnakes to solve your rodent infestation. Once the problem is under control, adding common bull snakes to the mix will eliminate the rattlesnakes. But snakes eat rattlers for sport and are not bull snakes eat rattlers for sport and are not poisonous. Hmm. From Bobby Godfrey. I was so thrilled to hear the connective tissue in the small role I had in bringing Aunt Jason Anschutz and 
and Ed Butt together. That said, I don't know if the error was Jason's or yours, but I can promise you it's a good thing that the woman to whom Jason is related by marriage is not a little. His wife and my friend Jesse is a proud Iowa State cyclone and even played saxophone in the school band. Thank goodness she didn't hear you proclaim her a Buckeye on Wednesday's show. Going with the cyclone theme, she's a meteorologist, so maybe the show could look into getting her to take over Kip for Kip Scheman. Mm-hmm. You never know. <laughs> From Mark Copeland in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Spooky Nook. It's about Spooky Nook, where Will Bond is about to be. Yes. Spooky Nook was started by a former Auntie Anne's pretzel magnate, Sam Byler. Byler bought an old Armstrong flooring factory in the middle of a cornfield in Mannheim and built a monstrosity complex complete with a hotel inside of it. Wilbon will hate it, every (laughs) second of it, even more than he hates Kyrie Irving. Make book on it. From Nick Sharkey in Escanaba, Michigan. I hate to criticize, but you had passing on. You didn't ask him about the Dominic Smith All-Star stuff. That's fair point, yes. Michael says I'm being mean-spirited, so I don't want to do that. Uh, From Peter Ehrlich, or Peter, yeah, Peter Ehrlich. Um, I had, he said, great to see the seersucker suit today. Yes. That was the other day on PTI. That was Wednesday's show. I believe so, yes. Wednesday's show on PTI. From John Costello III. The woman to whom I'm related by marriage asked me a question tonight that I'm sure has been asked countless times over the years. What is La Cheeserie, and why are you writing an email about it? Earlier this year, we began watching Survivor together, each episode featuring a competition that pits the contestants against each other. At the conclusion of tonight's contest, the winner threw his hands into the air and let out a hearty La Cheeserie. Imagine my wife's surprise when the mention of a cheese counter in a liquor store I have never been to caused me so much excitement. I explained to her the connection with one of the men whom she frequently hears yelling out of my cell phone speakers about sports. While not overtly enthused herself, she was happy I was happy. I would say this is easily a top 20 moment in our marriage. <laughs> Somebody on, on Survivor. Survivor How about that? Did that. Yeah. That's really Catching something. on. Um, okay. One more. John Molino, Fredericksburg, Virginia. I've been six feet tall most of my adult life. Me too. Now in my 70s, and as part of my recent physical, the nurse measured my height. I can accept that I'm no longer six feet tall, but it's the way she said it that (laughs) triggered my reaction. She looked at me and she said, five foot 11, to which I replied, five foot 11, not very tall, but there are some people shorter than me. I guess that's one positive way to look at it. A strange look is all I got for my effort. If only she were little, if only. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Ladies and gentlemen, the evening is over. We hope you all enjoyed yourselves, and we'll see you all again in 1974. Good evening! There's Ollie versus Frazier, McEnroe versus Borg, Lakers and the Celtics in the Garden, Electric Razor versus James Harden. Dodgers versus the Yankees, they're in Babe Ruth's house. And there's Mr. Tony versus the Mouse. I won't tell you how it ended, I won't spoil it. But there's Mr. Tony with his arms up raised, there's a mouse. There's the toilet, there's Lewis versus Marciano. There's England versus the Falklands. There's Green Bay versus Chicago. Shoemaker versus Steve Cawthon. Nothing brought down the Jordan Pippen bull except maybe Jerry Krause. There's Chrissy versus Martina. And there's Mr. Tony versus the Mouse. Mr. Tony versus the Mouse. Struck. They've gone on two in the series. You can look it up for New York. Stanton had three ribbies. Her mom was in the zone. The fourth Yankee perfecto after Larson, Wells, and Cone. 
Hermine wore number zero to match the Oakland hits. Every A that came up, Domingo gave them fits. The 28th of June, Hermione stood alone. Perfect Yankee pitcher matching Larson, Wells, and Cole. The guys in Oakland's lineup ain't exactly Robin Yount. But don't say that Hermann's perfecto doesn't count. The A's are in the big leagues from far and wide they're known. And now Domingo Hermann stands with Larson, Wells, and Cone. Campanota, Rooker, Perez, Brown, and Bright, and Diaz. Langeliers and Ruiz, they all went 0 for 3. 27 A's came up and 27 gone And now Domingo Hermann stands with Larson, Wells, and Cone 99 pitches, that's the number that he's thrown And now Domingo Hermann has joined Larson, Wells, and Cone